I'm okay. Here for something at least. Oh, you're here for a lot of things, babe. We've got uh, episode Yawa episode fifty-two. Is that right? We're gonna so, go with it until somebody corrects us that we're wrong. Hey, you know what that means? That's one straight year of y- Yawaing. Yeah. One straight year. So, um, a couple things that are gonna be just kind of uh, a paperwork while people are checking in here yet too, if you will. Um, we have gotten the feedback that some people prefer the live version. The live version. They enjoy the interaction. They enjoy sitting and chatting with us, having a drink. We're going to be checking in on that here shortly when we go uh, roll call with what I've got for this evening. Something a little special, a little different. Um, and then we've gotten the, the statement that some people like the pre-recorded option, especially now that we've added those um, tags where you can kind of skip through questions. It's a little easier. And then, and then as always... The questions into the description that we've answered too, which makes... Guess what? It's a lot more searchable. Searchable. Mm-hmm. Yep. So um, we're trying to come, you know, kind of add all of those things. And what we want you guys to know is that you can expect every single Wednesday at 730 Central Time, you will have two options. Either you get to interact with us live or we're going to start pushing out our pre-recorded Yawas when we actually are doing those. We're going to push them out as premieres. So even if Kat and I don't have the opportunity to be together because we do travel a little bit for work, we can tune in or one of us can tune in on the premiere aspect of it and still interact with you live. So it allows for the the super chats and the chat section to be in there. And either one or both of us, depending on the situation, will be there to be able to chit chat, answer questions, go over some stuff. And But it'll be more of that pre-recorded format. And then again, all of them are available after the fact for you to tune in to listen to or tune in and watch or listen via the podcast, um, wherever you catch your pods. Yeah. Because, uh, there are times where we aren't available at exactly seven thirty PM central standard time every single Wednesday. Like just, was it last week? All my days kind of blend together. Last week you were goose hunting. So you yeah. wouldn't have been available. It was like, Oh, let's life. try this. But, um, uh, the, the really cool thing is internet folks, uh, let us know if it's glitchy, if it's weird, if anything happens, but so far, um, the new, you know, essentially satellite and this sucker is big. I'm talking like, okay, it's not that big, but it is, it's probably two foot across. I haven't got up on the roof and measured, so I'll take your word for it. Yeah, it's big. It's like a big old satellite dish and it points out there at our other satellite dish that we had put up and it is, uh, it's very consistently rocking and rolling all the time. So we're excited about that and having this as an opportunity. Now, um, now that we've got some, can you pull up on there? Are you rolling through that? Yep. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Olive says, where's the bourbon? Uh-huh. Yep, it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. So um, I got a, this was a gift, uh, a very kind of unique, it's Maryland whiskey, which um, it was given to me. It was handed to me this way. Maryland's not really known for their bourbon. And, uh, I guess technically is it bourbon or is it whiskey? Uh, it says bourbon, bourbon. straight bourbon. Yeah. Bourbon whiskey, which, uh, for those of you that know all bourbon is whiskey, but not all whiskey is bourbon. And there are some deciding factors with percentages of grains and how long it's aged and some other stuff like that. Um, but let's see if we can crack this thing open. It's kind of got a a lot of wax on it. Kind of got a cool top. Didn't. They didn't give you a grabber. Yeah. Well, while he's 
fiddle farting around with that. Oh, I'm doing my best to fiddle fart here. Uh, okay. I also I'm want to handy dandy show off our cool new tumblers that we got. Uh, can you see that? It says my name on it, Cat. And then if you drink out of it on the bottom, which I'm going to not do that because I'll probably spill all over myself. It says the dog trainer. Ooh. Oh, you got it. And then Ethan has one too that says Ethan. It does say Ethan. Sorry. Um, it says Ethan and it's freaking sweet. And then on the bottom it says uh, guy with the pink. Uh, I can't get it up there high enough. Yeah, guy I with had the pink to gun. take the straw out and try and sip out of it. Without. But uh, thank you for thinking of us. Yeah, uh, that was awesome it. from Sarah. Uh, she actually sent us an Instagram message and said she wanted to make these for us, which was super sweet and thoughtful. And we definitely appreciate it. And we love using tumblers and things like this oh my all God. the time. I don't think that Kat ever is anywhere without a tumbler in her hand. So Some form of drinking device. So thank you very much. We really appreciate it. Yeah, we uh, we love the fact that y'all are thinking about us, especially uh, ex- super nice things like these gifts that are by no means necessary, but are very much appreciated. Come on. I'm man. also drinking coffee because See, I, I'm gonna have to go. Full it's tilt. been a long day. Oh I'm man! Go full tilt and cut all of this wax off because I can't get enough of it gripped there. Goodness. There we go. Uh, see, should have just started lower. Rookie, rookie mistake. Come okay, on now. So I'm going to try and start looking through some of these questions here. Goodbye, wax. It's all going away now. Aha. Okay, so this is Maryland Whiskey Company. Uh, they got really unique with the name, but I'm guessing that it's going to taste pretty good because they said, I believe what they said was there weren't very many bottles of it or there were plenty of bottles of it. One of the two. Woo, you pop. love it when it makes that sound. Yes, I do. Glug, glug, glug. Pop and glug. Pop, glug, glug. Ooh, it smells good, all right. It's got a pretty strong, um, like, uh, smell? No, like, like vanilla, or, I mean, which oh, is yeah. a typical bourbon. Yeah. I mean, but I got it. The second I poured it, I was like, Yeah, a comes. little whiff of vanilla mm-hmm. smell. And it is 80 proof. Uh, it's kind of smudging on it. Yeah. 90 proof. I don't I don't know. It's a proof. It's blurry. It's blurry. It's a it's mm-hmm. let's see. Hmm. We're gonna have to sip on this one a while and I'll tell you what I think. Let it breathe. So we got a comment um from Owen Judd. Do more puppy whelping videos. They're great. Well, thank you. I'm glad you have enjoyed the videos that we have put out with both Muddy's litter of four puppies and Breezy's litter of 10 puppies. And I definitely think that this is something that we are going to do again in the future because we have a new whelping facility almost completed and we're super excited to utilize that. It's going to make taking care of puppies so much easier because the space is going to be a little bit bigger, um, not going to feel quite so crowded. And then it's going to be set up just for puppies, which is 
awesome. No, uh, none of our personal dogs, just all puppies and mamas. We'll have indoor play areas that's completely climate controlled. We'll have webcam nest cams so that we can keep track of our puppies um, on the daily, on the minute, get notifications, things like that. And then an outdoor place place just for those puppies as well. So when that's completely rocking and rolling, um, we are planning on doing another puppy whelping series. It just will have to wait until we're completely finished with that and that I'm not also whelping a baby. (laughs) The uh, new facility is going to be pretty sweet. So they are finishing up the epoxy right now and they educated me on the fact that there are approximately 44 mils of straight epoxy on the floor in the actual whelping area. And I said 44 mils. That's fantastic. What does that mean? Um, in, in, England and the the UK persons be like I know exactly what forty four mils is because that's standard measurement here I believe, um, but I was like what is that like uh, almost uh, I mean it'd be four centimeters how many centimeters in half a, an inch well that's what I said and the, the other guy that was in the room there he just goes <laughs> so I assumed that when I said half an inch it wasn't anywhere near half an inch um, but it actually is closer to about a quarter inch of material which is heavy duty. Moms like to dig nest. And that was one thing we wanted to make sure that it was going to be able to withstand that and antimicrobial, uh, super, 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 super awesome because it's a urethane based top coat, which is as I've researched and found the most chemical resistant type of epoxy. So if you're looking, you are building a kennel, even if it's just a small kennel facility for you and your two dogs or three dogs or five dogs or whatever, um, paying a little bit extra upgrading to some form of urethane-based epoxy coating, uh, it's going to be better in the long run if you have an accident, you know, pee or poop or vomit. All of those things are very acidic and can eat through floors and then leave stink that you got to rip out the concrete in order to make it go away. And that's yeah. a hassle. So we definitely will be doing another series on that shortly this year at least um Mm -hmm. next let me see finding a question sometimes it's hard because like the questions the comments or whatever keep rolling and then i lose where i'm at they do but folks if you have this is just a throwing it out there the easiest way for us to find stuff is actually through super chat so you have the ability to say hey look at me this is my question, and it pulls it to the top for X number of minutes. You get to select that when you go through and do that. So Yeah, so if you've got a question that's burning a hole in your pocket, just pop it up there, and then I won't miss it. Head itched. <laughs> well, it's a thing, okay? I, I understand. Anybody else ever have a head itch? You just got to... Ah. So from Tim, Tim Labacher. 12-week-old GSP, she hates the crate, hates when we leave a room, whines, cries, etc. Any suggestions? Um, yes. So this is a super, I'm going to say extremely, let's go with super extremely. Let's add one more big word in there. Like, like really dis- super, disturb, really, really super, super extreme, extremely common problem. All right. You are not alone here. Little puppies, because um, it said nine weeks, right? 12. They're 12, 12 weeks. weeks. Okay. Well, you've been fighting with this for a little while, which it can be it can be a struggle. Let's go ahead and throw some of the, the questions out. First of all, we need more information, right? Yeah. They, they've given a little bit, you know, when they leave the room. Um, 
whines, cries, etc. Hates when they leave the room. So we do have a couple of videos already on crate training tips and tricks. Something mm-hmm. that you can search just standing stones, crate training. And most of those videos are going to pop up for you, which we talk about a lot of our go-to tips and tricks uh, from not giving in when they're crying and, you know, white noise, covering the crate, not covering the crate, putting it by you, not putting it by you, um, giving them special treats for just when they're in their crate and a whole bunch of things that you can try. Not sure if you've tried all of these things yet or not. Um, and then if you're still struggling, because like Ethan said, it's a super common problem. We might just need to get a little more information, like he mentioned, and work through some Q&A with you and figure out exactly what is going on and what is going to be a good option for a solution for you. Um, So watch those videos. If you're still struggling and you've implemented things like that and you need more help, definitely you can reach out to us on our online dog training community on Patreon, where we can have that dialogue of going back and forth and getting a little bit more information from you about your specific puppy situation. Um, it's a good one. And the, here's another one that popped through. Uh, it says B bass with two B's, two S's, two, two, two. My lab puppy eats way too fast. How do I fix this? So I want to talk about, first of all, because eating is something I think that's uh, misunderstood on a regular basis. All right. So if your puppy is eating too fast, that they're actually, you know, like gagging and heaving and choking on the food a little bit. That's a, I mean, it's potentially a problem, right? There are a few things that you can work through with this. And I actually, we shot a video showing, um, showing these, but I'll give you the, the nickel tour here, right? Um, putting a little water on the food's going to slow them down. That's a, a pretty simple fix. Um, spreading the food out. So they have to clean it up a little bit slower, which would be, I used a cookie sheet, right? Everybody's got one of those in the house dump it on there. It's all scattered out all over the place. They can clean it up. Um, those are pretty simple. And we, I think we had one other one. Yeah. You can also utilize that meal in a training session. So they're basically eating one, two, a little handful of kibble at a time. And that's definitely going to slow them down as well. Didn't we have one other one? Was it like utilizing a slow feeder puzzle or a- Yeah, you could do that. I mean, you can get those. Those things, I mean, they're, they're, they're not terribly expensive, but um, they are- money. And most of the time people have a a cookie sheet lying around or something. That was the go-tos, right? The other side of it would be the water. It's pretty easy. But then um, the most important, which is exactly what Kat mentioned and where I wanted to kind of go with this is when you have a young dog, we're actually going to recommend that you are utilizing that food in training sessions. And I mean, we do this through how, how old is it? Like Kat's the, the calendar person, right? I'm always asking. How old is Trix right now? She's four months old. Okay. So four month old dog, we're still, I'm going to say 90% of her meals come in the form of training. Unless we are, it just happens that we, something happened. We got to be on the road for some appointment or something, something, something. We run a little short on time. And even those, most of the time it's like a handful of reps. So we'd say here, sit, kennel, good dog, eat the rest of your food. Now we'll kick you outside to go to the bathroom quick. And the thing that people miss, and this is this is like way expanding on a puppy that's eating too fast, but the thing that people miss is that structure and structure alone is the, you know, like the key to a dog being content and a dog being happy and a dog being fulfilled in their life, basically. They need to, especially working breeds, need to be working, right? I mean, if we go to 
wolves, and this is a big leap from a domestic dog, but um, from a genetic standpoint, it's really not. They, I heard a statistic, uh, and I don't have a way to personally check that, but 99.9% wolves and dogs are genetically um, the same. Now, there was a study, and this would be something that you should go out and look. This is a pretty cool thing. Uh, foxes. They, they studied foxes in captivity and started breeding them. They started this fox breeding program, and how they selected the, the foxes for breeding was through um, selecting the least aggressive and essentially breeding out aggression. And I think it was uh, between six and seven generations, they started to have a change in physical attributes that moved in the direction of, you know, what the domestic, domestic dog, dog was. So they had foxes with curly tails and floppy ears and slicker coats and, and different. All of these physical attributes started changing as they selected for non-aggression. That was it. That was the, the attribute. So you think about, I mean, the dog aspect of things, wolves were domesticated and now we have Shih Tzus and Pomeranians and whatever from that. But, uh, but we also have all of the working breeds and from the working breed standpoint, you know, it's when you look back at that wolves work when they're hungry and they eat. And then once they've eaten, they lie around. So incorporating food into working is a, you know, it's a natural thing for a dog to do. And that's going to be the best case scenario for them to be able to feel like they're actually doing something and, you know, and, 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 and giving builds a them huge a purpose. Bond. Yeah. It's a purpose and it's structure and it's all of the things that, that work really well in people's brain and dogs' brains, but not so much in people's brains. Like if you think about your life being constantly regimented or controlled or whatever else, it's not necessarily for everybody. And you're like, oh yeah, just do your thing and have fun puppy. Well, that doesn't work in their brain. So we have to incorporate structure into their everyday life to truly reach, um, you know, a content, happy, mentally stable and prepared for everything kind of dog. So good question. We actually got, while you were explaining all that, two super chats. Heck yeah. So, what do we got? What do we got? Um, the first one was from Russian Pridium, which, excuse me if I absolutely butchered your name, did not mean to. He said, how young can you start training your puppy to hunt? So this is a really good question. And I think that there's a lot of parts to this question. One is we start training our puppies as soon as we bring them home at eight weeks old. Like Ethan said, they start working for their meals and developing that good work ethic. Um, and there's a lot of aspects of like the obedience training side of things that go hand in hand with creating a nice well-rounded, well-behaved hunting dog, like a good solid recall. That's one of the things that we talk about is being a prerequisite for taking your dog hunting. Your dog needs to have a good solid recall. Otherwise there's the chance that they get, you know, on a chase on a bird or find a rabbit to chase and then you can't get them back. So having a solid recall is really important. And that's something that you can start almost from day one when you bring home the puppy at eight weeks old. So that's part of it, but hunting specific training. So bird introductions, gunfire introductions, starting some of the drills that we like to use with positive pigeons and then bird launchers to get them out, understanding how to point birds, doing some tracking practice. All of that typically starts with our puppies between four and five months old, 
Um, usually they're not much younger than that unless they, you know, scare up a loose chucker or find a pigeon that's sitting on the ground, um, outside of the kennel when we're just hanging out in the yard. Um, but we're not doing any specific formal training with those puppies on those specific things until they're usually at least over four months old. So, um, then you can start all of that basic stuff and then, um, in that video, we talked about the prerequisites of having a solid recall, a bird and gun introduction, and there was one other thing. Bird introduction, gunfire introduction. Maybe it was just those, I had separated I those. I think those are the three. And then the things that would be really freaking nice to have would be yes. uh, a dog that has actually had an opportunity to go out, use their nose, and try and point birds. But if you haven't had that opportunity, they can still go hunting and start learning some things from wild bird exposure. So that was a really good question. Hope now, that, that was able to... You've got another super chat in uh-huh. there, right? So we'll get to that in just one second. But okay. along with those puppies and when to start the bird and hunting training aspect of things, I want to pull in a, an example of someone that, you know, kind of follow trust the path as a lot of, um, educators say, you know, sometimes it seems like what we're giving you or what we're recommending isn't necessarily going to get you where you want to go, especially as you're watching it evolve. But, um, uh, it was a guy that signed up on Patreon. He actually got a puppy from us and he lived close enough to be able to come out a couple times, literally two, then sent the dog into us for training. So this is a dog that's now came in between six and seven months old, something, something to that effect, pretty close. And he had two opportunities where he got an introduction to birds. We did the positive pigeon drill. And that day, cause he was out there and it was a consult. It was like, well, let's go ahead and set up a pigeon course. He seems pumped. He seems ready to roll. And Um, we, we did that and there was no pointing, but he kind of saw kind of some acknowledgement on one of the birds, but not much. And then all that happened, um, between that consult and then the next consult, which we're talking 12 weeks old, came out for a a bird introduction and a little bit of pigeon work in launchers. Then we moved from that to, um, we did the same thing at between four and a half and five months old. So a big gap in time there with no interaction with birds in between at all. He came out, he pointed all three launchers and just a totally different dog. So a lot of that maturity um, took care of things because it's natural ability, right? A lot of those things are natural ability. What doesn't come naturally to dogs and especially short hairs or versatile dogs is being obedient, right? So that's why we put a huge emphasis on Let's teach this obedience while they're young and impressionable and, you know, introduce them in small portions to all these things they're going to have to see as adults. So, yeah. And when you were saying trust the path, you know, there is so much information out there, different YouTube channels, different trainers, different methodologies, and it can get really confusing. So if you find somebody that you really feel like you jive with and that their information seems really solid and really good following along with them and trying not to necessarily like hopscotch all over the place. Not that you can't get good information from multiple sources, but it can get confusing. Um, as well as the last thing I want to mention with that, because you kind of made me think about this when you were talking is 
if your puppy is older than four or five months old, that doesn't mean that they're not going to be able to figure out how to hunt when nah, you start this. throw them away, start over. <laughs> it's not the case. Um, I mean, most of the dogs that we get in for training are much older than that um, because we have a minimum of a six-month-old puppy requirement before they can even come in for training. So a lot of them come in at six months, mm-hmm. and then we spend almost a month of you know building that obedience and making sure that they're really solid before we start a ton of bird work. So they're closer to that seven-month range. And then we do get a ton of dogs that are seven months, nine months, 12 months, 16 months in to begin this step. So, and folks say things like, uh, I didn't want to screw them up. So I haven't really started anything with collar conditioning and we haven't introduced gunfire and we haven't introduced birds and we haven't done, we basically haven't done anything. We've potty trained and built a bond and socialized and whatever else. And those dogs come along just fine. Yes. So, so good question. Next question was from charity Moore. That was a super chat. 18-week-old wire hair pointing Griffon starting collar conditioning to place. He knows the cue, but when we use the collar, he begins to avoid and stop listening how to prevent. So this is a really good question, and uh, it's one that gets asked a ton as well. How do I work through this collar conditioning? My puppy really knows how to do this until I start adding the collar, and then they either run away or they freeze or they act scared. And then I turn the collar off because I don't want to mess them up. I don't want to do something wrong. And that's your mistake. Um, when the puppy tries to avoid or tries to hide or runs into the other room or under the dining room table and you're like, Oh, I scared my puppy, turn the vibrate off. Then you coax them out and kind of coddle them. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. Well, then the puppy just learned, Oh, Well, the way that that collar shut off was not getting on my dog bed, but hiding or running away or freezing or any of those other behaviors and reinforcement-based training, which is what we're doing, is very, very powerful training. So if they... Even more so powerful when it's the dog's idea. Yeah, for sure. And so if you have a few opportunities where you're like, oh, I didn't do this right... I kept turning the collar off. That's going to definitely make getting the collar conditioning onto the dog bed a little more difficult, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's not impossible. And we actually just shot a video um, with tricks on collar conditioning to go on her dog bed. And it shows, you you show we've got an extra added tip in there for any of those that are just getting ready to start this or struggling. And it showed because... It showed it, that it was beneficial because it actually... She tried. She tried, yeah. She tried. We're doing a collar conditioning session. She tried to avoid to kind of run into the other room. Run and through the kitchen. Had we just said, oh, you, you, okay, goodbye, and shut the collar off, she'd be like, all right, the escape is you run through the kitchen and the collar shuts off. This new, strange... Um, Weird me out vibrate yeah. is um, turned off Stop by that. going through the kitchen... Or if I just act weird enough for long enough, it'll go away. Yes. And so we did talk about that in the video, how we work through that. That video should be going out next week. Um, so definitely be looking for it um, maybe on Monday, but maybe on Friday. Yeah, they were asking me scheduling-wise about that. So it will be out next week, either Monday or Friday, depending on how things shake out. Yeah, but um, definitely watch that video. And if you have more questions and aren't really sure what to do and you don't want to make a mistake, um, you can definitely reach out to us on Patreon because that is a really good place for us to help work through these situations, especially 
in the live tier because we can actually watch live. Like you guys are watching us live now, yeah. a video of your training session. And when your puppy, your wire hair pointing Griffon would start avoiding, I would be able to say, Hey, 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 exactly what you're Do doing right there. Charity. Stop. Don't stop the vibrate. <laughs> Just go get your puppy, clip them up to a leash here, pull tug, 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 redirect get them moving in that direction, get them on the bed. Now the collar shuts off and I can just help direct in the moment. And once you get that, um, once you get that one or two or three good reps, I mean, it just clicks into place after that. But if you have one or two or three bad reps, it clicks into place in the negative way. So, um, we had a couple of people just tuned in and said, what is in the glass, Ethan? Well, it is the Maryland whiskey company's, uh, single cask straight bourbon whiskey. Pretty tasty. It was a gift from some folks up in Maryland. And they said, you know, hey, uh, we're not really known for uh, bourbon or whiskey, but uh, here, let us know how it is. And it's uh, so far, it's pretty good. I mean, it's uh, not, I wouldn't call it, it doesn't have a ton of different layers, but it's pretty smooth, pretty easy to drink. And just a good, this would be, this would fall in the category of good sipper. So Sarah Gillum had asked, what's a good age to neuter a dog or pup? We got a super chat right here. You got to throw that one. That was it. Well, I I screenshot it. I got that Priority. No, no, no. Go this one. Super chats. We got here. Pilot Smalls. It says, our puppy comes home in April. Okay. I'll be doing most of the house training suggestions to help the bond with my husband since they will hunt without me. So that is awesome. Um, it's, it's one of those things that is something that needs to be incorporated into the thought process somehow. Okay. We talked earlier in this episode specifically about training with meals and that being important. And there's two a day. If you can at all have the opportunity to work that in where one of you do one of the sessions, the other do the other session, it's and 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 or do one of them together, it's going to be very important. And including if there are other people listening right now that have multiple people in the family, the more people incorporated with training, the more trust and respect that's going to be built with each individual member. And that's so. really important with children as well, uh, yes. because, and you, you know, your children have to be old enough to understand what the training is that we're doing and how to go about the training and, you know, timing and everything. But the more that they can be involved in that training, like Ethan was saying, not only is there going to be a bond, but there's going to be a respect for that individual. And that's really important because a lot of times puppies don't necessarily respect the children as much because they see them as maybe a litter mate or a playmate to mess around with and then, um, you know, starts nipping and biting and chasing. And so if they have a little more respect for those individuals, um, that can help eliminate that problem. Now, granted that interaction with children is not all sunshine and rainbows. Okay. I used to, I will admit 100%. I was guilty before of saying, ah, it's easy, right? You just tell the kids quit doing this and you, whatever. Okay. It's not that easy. Right. And I apologize to anybody that I said and understand, but I also do want to say our little man is learning how to teach dogs respect. And he's also learning how to interact with them. He's also learning the consequences of not interacting with them properly. If he wants to run and giggle and romp around with the puppy, the zoomies, zoomies, zoomies. they do zoomies at the same time. And then the puppy knocks him down and he's like, ah, that hurts, right? And you say, hey, 
This is because of the type of interaction that you have here. And you need to be able to, to be calm and have respect. And if she's jumping on you, you need to be able to push her down and move into her and whatever else and say, down puppy, no puppy, that's not okay. And stop the giggling, stop the screwing around side of things, right? So the other, you know, the other aspect of that though is, I lost my train of thought just a little bit. He helps with a lot oh, of the- Oh, yes. That was it. The story about him specifically with giving grandpa? dog treats. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So say. he loves to give dog treats. We've got a little, you know, cupboard that's got dog treats in it. And he goes over and gets a milk bone, right? And gives them to the dogs. That's a fun activity. And it takes a few minutes. So that's a plus in our category too. Hey, do you want to give the dogs a treat? Yes. And if there's multiple dogs, that's multiple trips back and forth. Well, Because he can only do one at a time. Yeah, he's got two hands, but only one of them works, I think. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's kind of... Yep. So he runs over and grabs this dog bone, right? And he goes over and Vex is on his tail the whole way. He's Vex is like, ooh, a dog bone. I know where the cupboard's at. This looks like fun. So he's over there and he knew, first of all, that he wanted to give one to Grandpa. Because I asked him, I said, do you want to give Grandpa a treat? Right. So he goes, gets the treat. This one specifically is only for Grandpa. So he goes over to the dog bed where Grandpa happens to be. And Vex is all in his business and he's boxed him out here. He's got his arm out here and he's boxed him out. And he's like, no, <laughs> no, Vex, no, no Vex. Vex, no Vex. Papa. Pa- Papa. Yeah, Papa. Grandpa's treat. He hits it to him and he's got him all boxed out using body language and physical per- dominance yeah, and all say, of these things. Dominance. that He gets him him. Good. Now, does Vex get one? Yeah. So he runs back, gets one, gives it to Vex. So just it's taken time, it's taken effort and energy, but it can be done. But you have to be able to work with everybody and have the same expectations. You can't just say, eh, you can screw around. Otherwise, it's a constant battle of the puppy learns the kids mean nothing and dad's the sternest and he always is a disciplinary. So dad means a lot. Mom always loves on me. So we're basically equals. And that is kind of the dynamic that falls into a majority of situations. If you can step outside of that, and understand that dogs need structure, and the more structure that you provide, the more they're going to love. Let's the more that they're going to respect each individual in the family, and that in their brain calculates directly to love each individual person in the family. So, great question. We got another one. We do from cool. Eddie Moody. Another super chat. Thanks, guys. Uh, what's your best e-collar for just basic training? Only planning shed hunting with my silver lab. Ooh, cool. So I have my go-to kind of favorite um, obedience collar for around the house and with puppies. That's the MR1100 by DT Systems. Yep. But if you're going to be doing some shed hunting and you're going to be out in some thicker cover, I also would really strongly recommend looking at the DT Systems H201820 because yeah. it's going to have a little bit longer range. Um, the antennas on the 1820 are about like that. Well, the, rap- the MR. Yeah, sorry. The MR1100 it has an 1100 yard range. That's what they, that's what they yes. are claiming. Yep. I and, haven't. And then the 1820 has an 1820 yard range. Like that's what the numbers on those not, collars, which mean. is not quite, but almost double. I mean, that makes a big difference now, as well as not that we normally expect a lab necessarily to be out 1100 or even 1800 yards, but in those places where there's more interference, trees, wooded areas, that signal strength is going to be better on the collars that have the longer range, the bigger antennas, things like that. So an 1820 might be a good option for you. Um, Both of the collars have vibrate. Both of the collars have continuous stimulation. Both of the collars have a nick feature. And then um, 
The other difference is the MR1100 transmitter takes a 9-volt battery. The 1820 is rechargeable by a wall unit, um, both the transmitter and the collar. Yep. A little bit bigger collar box, too, which, depending on your lab and their coat, you know, having a thicker, denser coat, that bigger collar box might be able to um, make a little bit better contact, I guess, if you will. Does that make sense? 100%. Yep. So I would check out those two and then decide which one um, is the best option for you. Which leads me some really, really exciting news. I think we've mentioned this once before, but we are, I'm going to say this close, maybe maybe just a little bit less, this close. We're in the final testing stages of being able to migrate to standingstonesupply.com. That is our independent company, a separate website that is only for all of our dog training supplies and everything else. Now, the cool part about it is when you go to standingstonekennels.com, like you've done in the past for anybody that's purchased from us, thank you for the support. We really appreciate it. But if you click on the store, boop, it's going to take you directly to standingstonesupply.com. So don't be confused when that happens. We try to have a very similar feel and look to the website. So it should be relatively streamlined. Yeah, streamlined or, or seamless, if you will. But it is going to take you to a different website which is now standingstonesupply.com. Stuck with that name for the the synergy, if you will, from a company standpoint so that people yeah. know and and understand and trust the brand right off the bat. You know, these are all thought processes, but um, we're this close to that launching. And with that, we're going to be able to build a lot more power into what we're doing from a store standpoint. So if there are specific things and you want to throw them in comments, um, send them over to his direct messages. If you're a patron, you can also throw it to us there. What specific things are you wanting to see from us? Because we're trying to grow all around products that we and product base that we use and recommend. That is a that is a huge part of what that store is. It's not every dog accessory in the whole world. It's the stuff that we're using and the, the stuff, stuff that, that we've tested and know tested is going to hold up. And, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, definitely hit that up here shortly, and then. Um, what I'm going to be pushing out, so stay tuned on social medias, but we're going to be pushing out basically a, a code for first-time buyers, essentially, as being guinea pigs, right? It's going to be... Because there might be some kinks that we need to work out and make yes. sure that orders are coming through properly and do our ship station stuff and that and everything's the- going according to plan. And so this is our way of... Saying, I'm saying thanks, thanks and for dealing thanks with for it. being patient and being a test dummy, if you will. But um, we want to make sure that everything is rocking and rolling, and uh, we want to say thanks for that. So, and then we got, um, we got a couple more super chats. Perfect. It looks like so. Um, Diablo Racing, my one-year GSP gets so excited when new people come in the house. Do you keep your dogs in place till they relax? Or introduce them on a leash. He also has a large hematoma on his head, drained and came back. Mm. Okay. Multiple parts to this question. Yeah. So, yes. Did you get these other ones screenshots so we don't miss? Ah, uh, they stay. Never mind. They stay put. I think I already, but I think I did. Okay. Just in case they go away because I don't want to miss them. Nah, they're still here. See, these ones are expired, but they're still there. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Good, good, good. They just pop up big and easy to find. Gotcha. Okay. Um. So... Place training, super powerful. I'm glad you're utilizing it. So yes, we keep our dogs on the dog bed until you watch that energy 
drain out of them until they relax. Mm -hmm. Then they can be released to co-mingle and say hi. Now, again, if they start getting a little more excited and a little more worked up, go back on your dog bed until you can kind of settle down a little bit again. Um, you're, you know, we also have to think about age. Your puppy's a year old, um, so definitely he should be able to handle that level of distraction and staying on his dog bed through that. Um, you know, I've got a little puppy tricks that we just started this process of collar conditioning with. That's not going to be a viable option. So having them on a leash when people come in, not a bad idea. Another thing that people have recently reached out to me about is that they'll have a puppy or a young dog that excited piddles when they meet new people. Ooh, yes. And so those are the type of situations. And if your dog happens to be similar, I would want to make sure that I'm giving them an opportunity to go out potty, empty their bladder before they're meeting new people. So, um, if you know, your puppy needs that outside time, then coming back in to meet the people after they've been on their dog, bed, that would work too. Um, and then as far, as far as like the hematoma goes, those happen. Um, especially he with said on the top of his head, right? Yeah. Um, so that's, I mean, they're from trauma. Yes. So dogs will get them on their ears sometimes from flapping their ears. They'll get them on their elbows. Um, they'll get them on their rumps, things like that. Yeah. If they, so like just a, a brief, if these kind of things happen to you, um, shaking their ears, typically that's a sign that something is wrong with their ears, whether something's in there or they have a infection, whether it's like a, a yeast, yeast infection, infection or something or else. Or just really dirty ears. Yeah. They need to be cleaned. Really dirty ears. So shaking head starts and then boom, they break a blood vessel and ear blows up. And it's very, very difficult to get to go down. Um, and in all of these cases, they're, they're best. If you clear up the issue and they stop shaking, usually they go down on their own. But if a vet's first option for you, and I'm saying this right now, I love vets, <laughs> um, about one of them within the United States. And he knows who he is. So the, a lot of times the first inclination is to cut it. Let's cut it, drain it, yada, yada, yada. Let's put drain tubes in it. Let's do all of these things. And none of those things truly help. Okay. So, um, elbows or rumps or any other kind of body based hematomas, usually those are again, pressure or trauma related. So constantly flopping on hard surfaces on their elbows. We see those in the kennel on occasion. With their pointy little elbows or their yep. pointy little hip, like butt. butt. Who, who, who was Ellie? Ellie? Ellie had one on her butt, which was kind of random. But but it's still like, you know, sitting on that bony little butt yep. on a hard surface. Yep. And then I could see like that bony protrusion on the top of the head bumping into the top of a crate or going under a table. Yes. We had a little puppy if that they did that. smack it hard even just once. But we saw an extreme situation with that where the dog actually ended up with a, a chipped bone portion or some something like that happened and it got infected. And then that ended up being needing, needing to be lanced, right? Yeah. I mean, because it wasn't just a hematoma. It was actually infection. So um, lots of different options there. If your dog has some random bumps, uh, there could be a number of different things going on. So great. Did we ne answer that question yep, completely? I think so. Cool. Next question was from Cole Radford. Wanted to know your thoughts on why black and white is a disqualifying breed standard according to AKC. And I, I want to say okay. that that is not necessarily true. It is a disqualification in the show ring only for AKC. And the other side of it is like to caveat that it's not even a disqualification. It's a severe fault, which means you You're aren't going to win, win, but you could still enter in the show ring if go. you wanted. Yeah. 
Um, but it isn't a disqualifying standard as far as like running through hunt tests or field trials or any of the agility um, competitions. The interesting thing here is he says AKC related, right? So it's a standard based off of the GSPCA, which is the German Short Hair Pointer Club of America. And it gets voted on every year. And it's a it's an interesting it's an interesting thing that I would say. Yeah. So uh, history says, and there's a a great book. Anybody that has short hairs would love all of the information about the history of short hairs. It's uh, by Georgina, I think is how you would say that. Byron, B-Y-R, B-Y-R-Y-N-E something. Uh, And it is called The Deutsch Kuzar or The German Short Hair. And you can, I mean, it's it's not cheap either. It's a dang textbook on short hairs. Um, but it talks about color, talks about coat, talks about genetic things, talks about characteristics, talks about breeding, um, all of the things. It's a very good read. I utilize it more as a textbook. I have not actually read it cover to cover because it's giant and it is textbooky, but um, spot checking things. Yep. Georgina B-Y-R-N-E. Ah, so I was close. B-Y-R-N-E. Um Burn, burn, Bryn, Byron, Byron, I don't know. Um, but it's a really, really good read. And in that specifically talks about the history aspect of things that at one point in time, there were three colors. I bet a lot of you didn't know that. Red, black, and liver. Um, and there was some combination of breeding specifically for liver only because red and black were dominant too. And then they bred only on livers. And then there was a reintroduction of the black color only from, I believe it's pronounced arc right. Pointers. So technically, a long, long time ago, the original short hairs, which original short hairs are a combination of a lot of different breeds to begin with, just like most breeds are created by the combination of multiple breeds. So a long, long time ago, in a galaxy far away, they reintroduced those Arkwright pointers. And so that's where it kind of all stems from. And that's why the purists, purists if you will, don't say, want to allow black to be. But I mean, considered you, uh, it's literally 49%, 51%, 49% yes, 51% no. So I'm, I'm guessing it's, it's only a matter of time before it will be accepted. It's been around long enough. There's enough of them that it's like, okay, you now officially are what is representing the short hair breed within America and is the only option. So, yes. So and that will be the, the decline of the liver short hair. I mean, the number of questions calls that we get it's 10 to 1 i, I guarantee black, I want a black 10, puppy. 10 to 1 i want a black puppy so uh, i fear for the liver dogs at that point in time which is why we try really 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 hard to incorporate 50 50 litters so that we are continuing to produce liver dogs and kind of keep that and always and, will yeah and but, even we do a lot we do blah, 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 blah. we still do a lot of liver to liver sure, readings as absolutely. well but huh. things that they were losing, and the reason that they brought those Arkwright pointers in, breeding for one characteristic, which is the case, right? And I'm not picking, okay, because there was a gentleman on here with a silver lab. But when you are breeding, lab is a primary example of this. There's white labs. There's... No, there's there's yellow labs. Well, there's yellow labs, there's black labs, there's chocolate labs. Oh, sorry. I... But the other colors, now there's silver, which is a dilute from black, I believe, um, which is a genetic mutation, essentially. Okay, don't don't take offense to these things. It is the truth. Um, 
And white is a specific breeding on a strain of yellow that lacks pigment. Okay. And then there's the fox red. Which is also yellow. Yep. But people are breeding on those specific things. And when you get into the, uh, the, the, the clear outside zone, which is like silver or white, you start needing white to breed to white to produce more white consistently. And then what are you breeding for? One characteristic. You start ignoring other things just to breed white. Now, not the case probably for everybody. There's enough silvers rolling around now and whites rolling around now that there's some people probably doing a little more selective process of that. But still, nonetheless, it is a single characteristic to breed on, which is kind of what happened then. And then they started losing eye color. They started having health issues. They started having other problems that then they brought coat pigmentation even liver dogs that were no longer really brown anymore. They were muted. And in there, you can also find, if you have the proper genetics and the proper crosses with short hairs, you can actually find tri-colors that have that muted, like uh, essentially they almost look tan colored, mixed with liver and white in there. And you have a tricolor short hair. And people look at that like a bastard child that came from some Doberman cross or something. And that's not the case either, but it's just extremely uncommon. So, um, now if a tricolor came out of one of our litters, I would be a little shocked, but there are specific lines and specific stuff it can be traced to that they know it's there. So it's a great question. Black is a huge controversy and you will, as you continue to, to follow along with short hairs, I would guess it's going to be even more controversial before it eventually just tips over the edge and becomes accepted. Yeah. yeah. So we great had question. another super chat from Russian Predium. I have an eight year old. I'm trying. I, know. I, I have an eight year old female Weimariner never has had a litter. Is it too late to breed her now? Um, I'm going to go with probably, but at the same time, I've, I've seen that age dog be bred and have no issues. And I, I was thinking specifically of Tasha. Yeah, no, no, exactly. That was me. That, yep. That's probably the only one that I really know. Yeah, was. that she'd never had a litter before. And Correct. then she had a litter of just two puppies. Uh, is, the, is that all she had? I didn't remember that. I feel like I know they kept two, but I don't remember. I if they think that there were only two. two in that litter. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and who knows? Because it was, you know, just. Just the person having a litter. I don't know if they did progesterone, so if timing was right, and if that's why there were only two puppies. I, I or know if they it was... didn't. They just put the two dogs yeah. in the backyard. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, you don't know in that situation. Was it due to other reasons that she only had two puppies? Was it due to improper timing of the actual breeding that we only got two puppies? Because that can happen too. Um, but there are increased risks of breeding older dogs when they've never been bred before. Let's talk about the physiological things that are happening, right? So every time a female dog goes through a heat cycle, their body essentially goes through the process of being pregnant, whether they are bred or not. Now that, that specific thing right there is what drives the controversy that is, should I breed back to back? Should I breed multiple times in a year? Should I breed multiple times in a row? Or should I give them plenty of time of a break in between? And there is argument that says, if you are going to be breeding the female, it is healthiest for them. Now, I'm not saying breeding the female is the healthiest thing for the female, but it's the healthiest thing in that cycle of breeding them every single heat cycle, every single heat cycle being bred. Now, 
their body is going through it, whether you are doing it or not. That is the, the argument aspect of things there. Now, if they aren't bred, eggs are dropped and they can become cysts within the, within the uterus. Is that yep. probably prepper? Yeah. So, um, which essentially becomes the equivalent of uh, canine endometriosis. Would that be similar? Maybe cysts in that. Infertility issues arise. They can. Yep. And I've heard of surgeries where they go in and remove all these cysts and then the dog's able to have a litter. I've heard of um, the other aspect of that, which would be uh, the dog doesn't completely tighten back up. So the birthing process is easier on their body, essentially, because they're not having such a drastic change from nothing to, which is why you, you look at like a dog's first litter. They typically carry high and tight and they barely show until they're ready to pop. And even then they don't look as big as what they should typically. And then as they go along, they look pregnant faster, which is a very similar thing that happens with women. And I think even it's an argument within women itself, it's easier on your body to have them babies closer together and whatever else. So there are factors that play into that. Now, this, the fact that you have an eight-year-old Weimariner and you haven't had any litters and you haven't had all these things, there's a good chance that you may struggle with fertility issues to the point where you couldn't have a litter at all. Now, she's also older, so the the level of physical activity or just overall health is very important. You have to you have to consider that it's a a process to have a litter of puppies and a dog that's in great shape and tip top healthy younger is uh, there's less risks. There's always risks involved with breeding. And I want everybody to understand that a lot of people talk about, I'm going to breed my dog, right? I just want to have a litter. I, I want my kids litter. to have a litter. Let's, let's experience this together. And then you hear horror stories that somebody reached out to us recently about asking how to deal with a singleton because they had a litter and the female needed a C-section, which is pretty abnormal with healthy sporting breeds, but needed a C-section, died during the C-section, lost all but one of the puppies. Now you have a singlet you have to take care of by yourself. So things like that can happen. Answer that question for yourself. Is this worth attempting first? If you say, I just want these genetics, I would go back to the breeder. Um, you know, that's going to produce the same genetics or potentially the same genetics. Again, that's my, my go-to recommendation. But if you have an eight-year-old, you want to try it, there is a possibility that you could have no issues. There is a higher probability that you will have issues with the process, whether that's just fertility or overall health of mama and the puppies during the process. Yeah. And it's just like with women. I mean, our chance of development issues, our chance of risk, everything gets exponentially higher the older we get. So, um, like women that are 40 years old or 45 years old having babies, that increases their risks for a lot of different things. And those are considered high-risk pregnancies then. So you have to kind of think of it the same way that, um, you know, if you do go forward with re- breeding your eight-year-old Weimariner, then you do need to, you know, be monitoring that pregnancy really closely and making sure that your female is, you know, doing really well health-wise. And I mean, to put it into perspective, right, we've talked about if anybody follow along, we celebrated grandpa's hundredth birthday not too long ago. So you have to put those things. I mean, your eight-year-old female is the equivalent of a 56-year-old woman. 56-year-old women probably shouldn't be, if at all possible, having children. I mean, there's a lot of risk involved. Pretty tough on the 
body. I will attest to that. It's it's a lot of work having a baby. But uh, we have another question, or no, not a question, but a super chat from Cole Radford. Thank you for answering my question so in depth. We have a six-month-old black and white GSP, and you love her. Of course you do. Um, your videos have helped out so much. Well, you're very welcome. Thank you for asking the question. We're happy to answer it. Okay, so we don't have any other super chats right this moment. So, I don't think so. I'm going to answer Sarah Gillum's question. What's a good age to neuter a dog? Our pup is five months old. And I wanted to say thank you for the tumbler, Sarah. Oh, hey. We need to, it's probably time for a water sip anyway. Clink. The stainless straws. Uh, They're nice. They uh-huh. make it really cool and refreshing. This will be, um, this would almost be a better option. Uh, Cruising. So we went on a cruise uh, two years ago now. I mean, it's been a while. COVID and all that stuff, yeah. right? So they've all been canceled. A year ago. We went a year ago in it was February. Jan- Jan- oh, yeah, yeah, We yeah, went yeah, over yeah. Valentine's. Yeah. Remember? Yeah, so full year ago, right at the, the beginning stages of, we, we had to, we had our temperature checked and we had to say that we didn't have COVID when we got on the ship and we all survived that. So, um, but the, not to make light of the situation, I'm just saying we we were all fine there. So it was right before things really got shut down as far as like yes. cruising goes yes. and traveling and all that. But they had all those dang straws that are paper cardboard straws. paper straws. Yeah. For, you know, uh, environmentally friendly. Right. But you're halfway through your drink and the straw dissolves in the bottom of the cup. So it's, it's kind of pointless. Yeah. You can't like drink your frozen These daiquiri be, through it anymore. No, you, you got to chug it or, or your straws shot. Yep. yep. Basically. So, so these would be Stainless awesome. straw would be sweet. Um, so, Neutering. Plus, you could um, you could you know turn the end of this into like a shiv, because that's definitely something that we need to be concerned hey, and worried about when we're cruising. Con- concealed weapons, right? Carefully, you get it. You never know. Never know. Okay, we digress. Definitely have a couple extra sips of that water, babe. Um, what's a good now. age to neuter your dog and your pup is five months old? So we recommend at least a year old. Males, females, it doesn't matter. Um, if you can wait even longer than that, till closer to two, that would be awesome. But those dogs, sporting breed dogs, specifically larger breed dogs, they need those hormones that are part of being intact to fully develop um, their joints and bones and muscular mm-hmm. systems and everything like that. Um, because there have been studies showing an early correlation between, or excuse me, showing a correlation between early spays and neuters and situations like shoulder issues, OCD, torn CCLs, things like that, that um, is a risk that I would really not want to take. Now, the flip side of that is, you know, vets pushing for early spays and neuters because there are so many unwanted puppies and dogs that end up in shelters. I, I think Peter made it. He said something, and I'm don't quote me 100% on this, but it was essentially he, during the either his apprenticeship or internship, maybe? In, internship, that'd be a better word. Sorry. Probably he went to school for a long time, not apprenticed. Um, but they said that they had, uh, he had a kill clinic that you have to go to that's part of it, right? So for euthanizing them, I'm you, sure. You euthanize a, a, I don't know, this is, a few hundred dogs or whatever in a, a weekend 
He said, you, you kind of feel more on the nobody should ever breed dogs again because this that was would be horrible. horrible. That yeah, would be, be absolutely horrible. Very traumatic. I that was that was the moment when I was a little girl that I decided I did not want to be a vet was when my mother was very real with me and told me, you know, not all of the animals live and not all because I love animals. And she I, I was think very Peter's real words with are me. I kill things on the daily. Yeah, and it's very sad, but that is, you know, watch things die on the daily. I mean, that's yeah, not, part of it, not too. Not kill things on the daily, but things die on the daily. So I was like, yep, can I can't do that. I love animals too much. I would become way, way, way too depressed. But um, anyway, so getting back to your question, but I think a lot of vets push for that because, A, a lot of dogs do end up in these shelters, and there's unwanted dogs and things like that that we don't want that to happen. So being a responsible pet owner and making sure that if you do have a dog that comes into heat, they're not getting bred and being supervised. Um, as well as, like I mentioned, it's typically in regards to sporting breeds. So there's a lot of vets that don't work with many sporting breeds. So this isn't also necessarily knowledge or a concern that they might have. So, um, yeah, the exact words uh, Peter said, probably, you know, like a three pound chihuahua could be spayed or neutered at six months old because there's not a whole lot going on there. And I mean, is about all they do for their entire life. I mean, the likelihood of tearing anything is, is it would just be jumped out of the purse early or something. You know, I'm not, I'm not picking, but I'm just saying that's the difference. And a lot of people have little dogs and love them to death. All right. That's fine. But I'm just saying the likelihood of getting injured is drastically less. Now I got the opportunity and I'm, I'm going to try and reach out to him and see, because he is, um, a veterinarian in the Houston area and is, uh, he essentially specializes in, um, that ACL surgery. I mean, he travels around, teaches it and is a specialist within the United States. And I'm going to see if I can get an interview with him. Cause I think it would be a, uh, opening situation as far as statistics and to get his opinion on all of these things. Cause it's something that gets brought up pretty regularly and we can talk not only about surgery options, but, the outcomes and then also preventative type things and something. So I'll see if I can get that rolling. Uh, I think that would be interesting. But definitely, Sarah, I would recommend waiting until at least a year with your dog before moving forward with having him neutered. So yeah. usually by a year, we see a majority of the, the skeletal growth is peaking, right? Growth but plates are closing up, things like closer that. To, um, yeah. And then they, you know, had those hormones necessary for muscling out and things like that. Now, if you leave your dog intact, like we talked about, mm -hmm. until they're closer to a year, that's usually when we see in males, especially that peak amount of muscle added to their frame that they're going to, you know, they reach their full height at about a year. And then by about two, maybe two and a half, they've reached their full bulk. Um, not fat, but like all that yeah. muscle, in, you know, developing Probably as late as three, depending yeah. on the dog. So, you know, leaving them and intact a little bit longer, especially for males, has less risks as far as like health concerns go. Whereas females, you know, there's also the concern of, oh, I need to get them spayed sooner so that we don't have risks of pyometra and risks of cervical cancer and mm -hmm. mammary cancer and things like that, um, which is also, you know, you Ovarian. have to, yeah, you have to keep that in mind as well. But um, the risk of those things doesn't exponentially increase as soon as they are through their first heat cycle. It gradually increases. Um, but so you're the talking risks about like of 
sub, I saw statistics similar. It's like 99.9% no chance of having these reproductive cancers, okay? First cycle with the female, it goes to like 96% or 93%. That's still a pretty dang good chance. And even if those things do develop, they're developing way later in life. So, I mean, maybe six or eight or 10 or, I mean, you've got a long way before any of those things potentially typically, typically come up, but then there are options with the spays and neuters now that you cannot do spays and neuters, but you could in fact do, um, vasectomies, which I believe vasectomy is the proper term for both, but I may be wrong. Um, tubes being tied, right. And then you leave testicles or you leave ovaries so that the hormones are still there, but then you still have the risk of the, the cancers that we're talking about. So in my opinion, if you're going to do anything, you might as well take it all or you might as well leave it there. That's, I mean, it's, yeah. But good question. And it's one that we've talked about in the past. We've talked about with Peter in the past, um, Mm -hmm. Ana Yawa Mm -hmm. as well. But it's a question that I get a very, very frequently, basically, um, in email form or Instagram message form or any of that. So, all right. So, I believe, I believe with time, one. yep, we've got one there. And I believe that that is going to be probably the last question that we have time to get to this yes. evening. I didn't want to leave Matthew hanging. No, absolutely not. Matthew Collins said he has a Brit who has incredible hunting instincts. What do you recommend as a starting point for field training? What are your thoughts on Brits? So, thank you for the super chat. Um, so, what do I think of? Brits. We breed short hairs because we love short hairs. That doesn't mean that there are not good dogs in every breed. And hundred oh, percent, there are good dogs in every breed. Yeah, you know, it's a that is my mantra when people ask about breeds: is there are good dogs in every breed, um, and it just depends on you know there are certain breeds that have uh, I don't want to say exponentially, but have quite a few more good dogs. But that also comes down to volume. I mean, I think there's realistically there's less. I believe at this point, I would be very confident to say there are less Britneys around and bred and worked than there are short hairs. Probably. Short so, hairs have become very popular. Yeah. So you've got a different pool to choose from, right? Yeah. But there, there's the opposite end of the spectrum as well. Well, there's not so great dogs in every breed. And that includes in short hairs it as well. We've worked hairs, with some yeah. less than it's ideal like, to <laughs> work with short <laughs> hairs. So, um, so if you've got a good Brittany, that's great. If you've got a Brittany that's struggling, we can help you. But it sounds like your puppy has really good hunting instincts, which yeah. is good. Um, I don't know exactly what you're necessarily considering those hunting instincts based off of, whether they're pointing squirrels and chichi birds in your backyard, or if they have gone out and pointed game birds or have a lot of retrieving desire, you know, all of that goes hand in hand with hunting instincts. Um, we typically recommend doing, um, positive pigeons as one of the go-to drills to start prepping a pointing dog for, um, upland hunting. Uh, we actually just did this drill with tricks and it'll be coming out in a video in a week or two. Um, we got to kind of spread out our content, but, uh, we just did that with her and she was four months old. So, and that's her first, which I talk about in that drill and in that video is her first 
formal exposure to any type of bird work is doing that positive pigeon drill. And then she was fairly reserved in it. You guys will have to watch. I mean, the video is going to come out pretty soon, but you'll have to watch. She was fairly reserved in it, which we talk about like as you're watching that, if you see similar characteristics that your dog, we're talking about specifically what we're going to be doing with her moving forward. Yeah. And if you've watched any of our other previous um, puppy training basics video series on YouTube, you can find them in our playlists with Rogue and with Quest. Um, I would definitely say that it seems like Trix was the most reserved out of all the puppies, which is nice to have these different series and these different things to watch because if your puppy reacts more like Trix, then you can follow along with what Trix is doing. If your puppy reacts a little bit more like Quest or Rogue, then you can follow along with what they're doing. So it allows you to kind of pick and choose what works best for your puppy based on how they're training. Um, but Positive pigeon drill. And then, like I talked about in that video, which you'll get to see here shortly, we're going to move forward with a bird introduction with her next. Um, and that's all things that happened at four months old, basically um, moving towards that five month old mark with her. Absolutely. So that would be where I would start is a positive pigeon drill and a bird introduction. Um, you can swipe that and reverse it and do your bird introduction first and your, your positive pigeon drill. Um, second, it just depends on what you have availability wise for birds. Um, and then gunfire introduction will be really, really important as a next step there as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Great Thank, questions, guys. Yeah, absolutely this great questions fun. this evening. Um, we love doing the the live aspect of things. We hope you enjoy it as well. And, you know, I, I apologize. I want to say that for all of the questions we aren't able to get to. You know, it's one of those things that we try and get to as many as possible. But if you are still here, you didn't get your question answered, hit us up on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Kennels, where you can ask questions on the daily. And we literally get to them, I'm going to say 99 0.5% of the time we're getting to those questions every single day and uh, those are directed directly to you patreon.com slash standing still kennels um, we appreciate everybody that is a patron it's what helps support this it, it purchases equipment it keeps us having the ability to provide you content on the YouTube channel and have time and equipment to do and internet and internet i mean Since that's part of it too internet. yeah heck yeah all of it um all of the money that goes through patreon specifically is directly put back into providing more content for uh all of you guys that are viewing so thank you guys for watching we will be back next week i think we're planning on doing another live if we can because the week after we won't be able to so like Ethan said, we kind of are going to go back and forth a little bit with what we can answer and when we can answer and everything. But you can tune in every Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. Yes. Central Standard Time and either catch us live or catch a premiere. And then we're also going to still try and be able to one of us, the both of us, even if we're not together, hop on and kind of interact with you guys as you're doing the live stream like this as well. Absolutely. Thanks for watching, guys. I'm Kat the Dog Trainer. I'm the guy with the pink gun. And we'll see you next week.